this morning. You'll notice that in um, a number of places, the Spirit of the Lord upon the Messiah is um, speaking about liberty and freedom. And it's a very specific kind of liberty and freedom. Uh, When the 4th of July comes around, uh, we call it Independence Day, Uh, we take that day as a country and we uh, celebrate our independence. Now that's one holiday along with some others that I think there's a lot of people who really don't know the significance of it. Uh, Memorial Day is another one. Uh, I'm not trying to be critical, but I think there's a lot of people who just look at it and, well, it's a holiday. But it's a meaningful holiday to us, the 4th of July and Memorial Day. The 4th of July celebrates the independence uh, that our founding fathers sought for and many fought for uh, from the um, tyranny of another country and another king. And the founding fathers actually believed that there was a parallel between the bondage that the now Americans were facing uh, with regards to the King of England, there's a parallel between the freedom that they would now have uh, from the freedom that the people of Israel enjoyed in the Old Testament. In fact, carved on the Liberty Bell, uh, Leviticus 25.10, proclaim liberty throughout all the land. And the people of Israel really did experience, when they were in fellowship as a nation with God, tremendous liberty. And uh, I just happened to be, you don't have to touch me or shake my hand after the service, but I happened to be one who had the privilege of touching the Liberty Bell. (laughs) Years ago, they had it in a different location. And uh, it's awesome to see, it's awesome to understand about the bell, bringing out the freedoms that we have in in uh, in our country. And we do have freedoms. Uh, we still, I believe, live in the greatest country on earth. And with all of its needs and its problems, uh, we are really blessed. Freedom. We have it. This morning, uh, you can go where you want to go. You can drive where you want to drive in the country. In many other countries, there's tremendous restrictions. Uh, multitudes of people, I believe, in our land do not understand the freedom that we do have. Now I chose this passage of scripture, Isaiah 61, and I chose the title for the message. It comes from verse 3 where it says that the Messiah will give them beauty for ashes. Now I realize that there are other interpretations uh, of the word beauty, but I like that interpretation. I'll tell you why in just a minute. The Messiah, when he comes, is going to do certain things, okay? And uh, he's going to give the people of Israel beauty for ashes. And this is looking ahead to the time when the nation of Israel turns to the Lord. If you know a little bit about um, eschatology and future events, we're going to just chop it up a little bit. The next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians 14. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then a whole generation of believers are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. After that, seven years of judgment down on the earth. Seven years in which the nation of Israel goes through tremendous persecution. Look, there's tremendous persecution to the people of Israel now. 
but it's only going to increase during that seven-year period. There's tremendous judgments that are poured out on the earth. Revelation chapter 6 through 19. But then Jesus Christ, Revelation 19, comes back again down to the earth, and uh, there will be those who will recognize Jesus as the true Messiah, and then uh, they will turn from... uh, they will experience beauty for their ashes. The ashes are used as a symbol. Uh, they were placed on people's heads in Old Testament time as a sign that they were in humility and repentance before God. Ashes, the um, the remains of burnt wood, uh, that type of thing. Those ashes were put on people's head as a significant um symbol of the fact that they really were humble before God and they were turning to the Lord. Well, the people of Israel are going to do this, and I'm just going to read briefly the passage. It's Romans chapter 11 where it says, Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the times of the Gentiles have come in. So then all Israel, Romans chapter 11, will be saved as a nation. The people are going to turn to the Lord. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. And he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them. And here you go. And I will take away their sins. And it's going to be an awesome time when the people of Israel and the uh, Jewish people today, those in the nation of Israel, do not recognize our Savior as the Messiah. But when Jesus comes back again, they will turn and recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, that he went to the cross for them and paid the price for their sins. So therefore you have that verse in Isaiah 61, a not real familiar passage of Scripture to many people. The Messiah will come to give them beauty for ashes. Now again, I realize some translations say a crown. Okay, But the point is that it's something that um, recognizes the joy and the glory of those who trust in the Lord and have their sins taken care of. Beauty for ashes is still the phrase I like, and I've chosen it because I think you're going to remember it. You're going to remember that passage in Isaiah 61 where Jesus, uh, who is the fulfillment of this passage, talks about beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning we just heard sung for us this morning the joy of the lord is your strength and it's amazing what the lord does for us when we go through times of sorrow we go through times of need we go through the times of concern and we go to our lord and we say lord there's things i do not understand there's things that i wish were different and what does the lord do It's amazing how he reaches down into our lives and causes us to see that we belong to him and we can have joy that those who do not have Christ will not have. So uh, the Lord through the Messiah is saying, I can replace your sorrow with joy. And again, we can have a testimony time. How many of us have experienced things which were very discouraging or very disappointing? We went to the Lord in prayer. That's amazing how he came down and met the needs of our heart because that's the kind of Savior he is. Now, back in Old Testament times, they celebrate what was uh, called the year of Jubilee in Leviticus chapter 25. You will notice in 61.2 that the Messiah says, When I am anointed and I come, I will proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I want you to remember that little phrase. 
that's a very specific um, phrase, and it's referring to a very specific year that was celebrated in the Old Testament. It was a year that was called the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, Israel was to take the entire year and do some things differently. And one of the first things that's listed in in that passage in um, Leviticus 25 is all debts were canceled. Now, let's let's think about it a little bit. Supposing somebody says to you, by the way, take all your bills, put them in a pile, and tear them all up because it's paid for. I mean, uh, we would get in line, right? I mean, (laughs) that would be awesome. (laughs) But that was God's way of keeping a balanced economy in the nation of Israel in Old Testament times. So number one, all debts were canceled. Secondly, uh, the land that was sold from a particular family, and this was the family plot. It Maybe it had to be sold for financial reasons. That land, the ownership of that land, would go back to the original family. Um, another amazing provision. And then thirdly, there was to be special kindness and generosity on the part of all through the year. Like some people say, well, at Christmas time, a lot of people are more friendly and more open and more kind than other times of the year. Well, we should be at all times, right? But uh, the year of Jubilee was a very special year, every 50 years in the um, nation of Israel. And it foreshadowed the freedom. Remember, the the, uh, pledge was proclaim liberty throughout the land, Leviticus 25.10. And I believe, if I remember correctly, that's inscribed on the Liberty Bell. Proclaim liberty throughout the land. And there was a tremendous liberty which the people of Israel enjoyed. Parenthesis, as long as they were in fellowship with God. But boy, when they got in fellowship with God, God allowed their enemies to come in upon them. And it's amazing what happened as a result of that. So this freedom was a foreshadow of the freedom that Jesus Christ gives us, we who put our faith and our trust in him. In fact, the Bible is very clear. If you're looking at cross-references, you might want to think about Colossians 2.13, where it says, The cross of Jesus Christ cancels all our debts. Every sin debt that we have before God, Jesus already paid for it on the cross. That's why we can experience forgiveness. That's why we have a spiritual freedom. We're not doing things in order to go to heaven. We don't try to be good to go to heaven. We don't give to the church. We don't uh, do social um, helps in order to earn our way into heaven. Jesus Christ paid the price. And Colossians 2.13 says, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now that's that's a beautiful concept. And sometimes it takes some Christians a while, even those who are saved and know Christ as Savior, to realize that all their sins were already paid for by Jesus on the cross. And listen, the sins of the future too, because we're not going to be sinless. If we sin as Christians, we can lose our fellowship with God, but we will never lose our sonship or our relationship with God. The relationship between you, you and God can become very strained. And there, in fact, the Bible talks about people who were saved, who wander away from the Lord, and it's in Second Peter. This is some concept. 
and they actually get where they forget that they were saved and they were pardoned from their sins. Well, you see, the Lord, after this morning, don't ever forget that Jesus Christ paid for all of your sins on the cross. Colossians 2.13, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, there's some responsibility we have in relationship with that. Because the Lord has forgiven us, we have two responsibilities. Number one, and I've prayed with people, and you have probably too over the years, we have to forgive ourselves. I've prayed with people who have said, I can't forgive myself for what I have done willingly and knowingly against God. Okay? What would you say to that person? What would you say to that person who says, I can't forgive myself? You need to do it. If God can forgive you, you can forgive yourself. Secondly, we also need to learn to forgive others. And that, remember, we've talked about this before, the subject of forgiveness. One of the hardest things we're asked to do as people. There are many other things given to us in the Word of God. But to forgive others who sin against us, that's very hard to do. But it can only be done through the power of Christ. And Philippians chapter 4, the apostle says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, stay with me. Real easy to say on Sunday morning. You know, we're looking in the Word. We say, well, I believe that. I believe the Bible's the inspired Word of God. And everything in it's true. And it is, by the way. Well, it says that we are to forgive others, even our enemies. Because that, in turn, gives to us a freedom which those who have hate in their hearts hearts, rather, uh, do not experience. But when you're willing to forgive others, oh boy, it's amazing what God can do in your heart. Let's take a quick look again at this beautiful passage in Isaiah 61 where it says the, the, uh, the Messiah is speaking and he says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now you will find that this very passage is quoted by Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth. In fact, that's his first actual public message. And he takes Isaiah 61, he has a scroll in his hand, and he reads that passage that we read this morning, and then he said to the people sitting in the synagogue, he said, this day or today, this scripture has been fulfilled. In other words, Jesus said, I'm your Messiah. I'm your Savior. I came for you. Uh, this, Jesus uh, is awesome as you as you read the scriptures and, and see the things that He did. Uh, one of our uh, the, our theme actually for the new year is renewing our passion for Christ and His church. And if you will slow down when you read the Bible and see the awesomeness of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us, well, let me back up a little bit. Remember I said, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he paid for all our sins? It's pretty awesome, huh? It's awesome. It's something that we don't want to take for granted. Uh, we've been forgiven. There are multitudes of people and all kinds of religions in the world who are trying to do all kinds of things in order to uh, obtain favor with God. We don't have to do those things. God shows us favor, grace, when we believe that Jesus literally laid down his life for us. In fact, Jesus himself defined his mission. 
John 3.17, where it says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world uh, might be saved through him. Salvation. For the Son of Man, Jesus said, has come to seek and to save the lost. So today, when you look at society today, you see people, and there's literally only two kinds of people. Those who are saved and on their way to heaven, or those who are lost and on their way to an eternal condemnation, separation from God. But God's not willing that any should perish. He sent Christ to die. And when people hear the message of life in Christ, it's amazing how many do turn to him. So this freedom that we have in Jesus Christ is spelled out clearly in the New Testament. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast in the liberty or the freedom in which Christ has made you free. We have a tremendous freedom. Okay, what is the freedom? Number one, the freedom is freedom from bondage to the uh, to sin, bondage to sin, and secondly, it's freedom from keeping the laws of the Old Testament. Because there were those who came into the early church and said, oh, it's okay for you to believe in Jesus, but you have to believe in Jesus plus you have to keep the Old Testament law. And they said also, these Judaizers who came into the early church, especially the church of Galatia, oh, you need to be circumcised. You can believe in Jesus, but Jesus plus You and I know that the gospel is very clear, isn't it? It's faith in Christ alone. He gave his life for us. He's an awesome God and Savior. And we've been set free. And I had to turn to these two verses. Uh, If you love to look at the exactness of Scripture with regards to your salvation, you need to know Romans 6, 18, and 22. And I'm going to turn there. I'll read them if you do not want to turn to them at this time. Romans chapter 6. Stay with me. Romans six eighteen. Where do you hear this? And having been set free from sin. There you go. We've been set free from sin. He said in that very passage, sin should not have dominion over you. If you're a Christian, if you're born again, and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you can say no to sin. Those who do not know Christ as Savior may be able to say it, but they're going to have great difficulty. We can do it as believers. Notice 6.18, and having been set free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. Some translation says slaves of righteousness. Now we can consciously serve the Lord because he's dealt with our sin. Secondly, verse 22, now having been set free from sin and having become servants of God, you have fruit to holiness and the end to everlasting life. In other words, because we've been set free from sin, because the Lord's done a work in our hearts, we can serve the Lord. We can do things for him. Your life can really count for the Lord. And we're going to talk about in a couple minutes about how the Lord said, I've been anointed by the Spirit. You've been anointed by the Spirit too. You and I both have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing what we can do in the power of the Spirit. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy comes into our lives because of the Holy Spirit. But this verse, uh, these two verses in Romans 6 say, because we have set, and I looked at that and I said, boy, that is so clear. We've been set free from sin. I don't have to sin. And listen, let's get it straight here. None of us are sinlessly perfect. We're not. We can fail the Lord, but what are we supposed to do? 
1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we can live righteously and we can serve the Lord as a result of being set free from sin. We once served sin and now we can serve God. And so here, here we have that exhortation and encouragement for all of us to serve the Lord. You ought to look at your life as a believer and say, what am I doing to serve God? Maybe you say, you know, right now, I don't know if I have anything carved out that I'm doing right now to serve God. Well, make yourself available. Really, I'm serious. Um, There are many things in our church fellowship uh, that need to be done. And you could say, you know, I'm willing to, and I know I'm going to mention this, and you're going to say, well, that's not me. I'm willing to teach a class. Some of you will say, you know, that's not my spiritual gift. But some of you do have that gift to teach others. And uh, so you can teach a class, you can help usher, you can help with mailings, you can help with visitation. There's so many things you can, that you can do in your life to serve the Lord. God wants us all to be serving in some way or another. So think about it in your life. You may say, well, you know, I have some limitations on what I can do for the Lord. But, you know, take a pen out. And, and write down, you know, here's some things I can do to serve God. Because I've been set free from sin, and now I can serve the Lord. And what a privilege we have, don't we? Don't we have a great privilege of serving Him? We want to do that too. Beautiful passage of Scripture, this Isaiah 61. I just can't get away from it. Uh, Jesus was in the synagogue uh, in Nazareth, which was His hometown, And he read from the scroll that very passage that we read this morning. And then Jesus said, this day, today, this scripture has been filled in your hearing. Fulfilled in your hearing. Uh, Jesus uh, continues, you see, uh, there's all these phrases in here about setting people free. Well, that's what the Lord continues to do today. He sets people free from sin. And let's go back now to uh, the beginning of the passage where he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has sent me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now again, the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee, every 50 years. Remember we mentioned that our founding fathers felt that we had a tremendous freedom that other countries didn't have with their kings and their rulers. And this is true today. We still have a tremendous freedom. Well, our founding fathers would take this passage from Leviticus, and they would say, you know, proclaim liberty. We want to have a freedom. We don't want to be bound like other con- the people in other countries are under uh, those who are uh, demagogues and uh, various kinds of leaders. The year of the favor of the Lord. This is the year of the favor of the Lord. And what do we mean by this? Well, we mean by this um, that the freedom that Christ gives is available today. Now, let's look at that verse again. 61.2. You'll notice he says, to proclaim the acceptable or the favorable year of the Lord. And Jesus stopped reading there. Don't miss this now. Jesus stopped reading between 2a in Isaiah 61 and 2b because the day of vengeance of our God is future from us today. 
He didn't come the first time to initiate the day of vengeance of our God. That day is coming. The earth will be judged for its unrighteousness and its ungodliness. That day is coming in the future. But he stopped reading in the middle of that verse because the day of the gospel, sharing the good news, is here right now. I thought it's interesting also, and I love this passage. You read on down in verse 3. He came, the Messiah came, to comfort those who mourn, console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. There it is. A tremendous joy for their repentance of sin. The oil of joy for their mourning. Israel is going to be turning to God. They've experienced tremendous persecution and hatred for years. But the day is going to come when they're going to turn to the Lord. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called the trees of righteousness. The oaks of righteousness. I thought that was interesting. You know how God looks at you and me as believers? Strong. It's trees. And you say, well, I don't feel strong sometimes. But listen, when your faith is in Christ and you know your destiny is heaven, you have a, a, a hope in your heart which multitudes of people don't have. They don't know what the future holds. They don't know what Russia is going to do. They don't know what North Korea is going to do. We do, <laughs> don't we? Who's in charge? Who's sovereign Lord? Jesus Christ. He's sovereign over the whole universe. He's sovereign over the nations of the earth. And we belong to him. And as long as our, well, because our faith and trust is in him, we become trees of righteousness. Israel, in their fluctuation, is going to become strong when they put their faith in their Messiah. And the purpose of this is found in the last part of verse 3, where it says, and through all this, God will be glorified. Now, very quickly, just very quickly, turn over with me to uh, Luke chapter 4. It's interesting to see Luke chapter 4. I I just want your eyes to look at this. Luke chapter 4. And notice with me. And I'm going to read it. Picking up verse 16. So Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. That's his hometown. Watch it now. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Here it is. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim, there it is, that year, that special year, the year of Jubilee, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book before that phrase, the day of vengeance of our God, because that's future from us. And he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and all the eyes of those who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him and he began to speak to them and he said today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears in your hearing and and they say wait a minute isn't this the uh, son of Mary isn't this the one who's the carpenter who was raised in the city of Nazareth see people don't know who Jesus is we know who Jesus is don't we 
Multitudes of people do not know who Jesus is. Isn't he the, the son of Mary? Wasn't he a good man? Didn't he perform miracles? Far more than that, Jesus of Nazareth is God the Son. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was? Amen. Wow, what an awesome God. Quickly, very quickly, look at these phrases which um, Jesus read and said he would fulfill. To preach the gospel to the poor. And that doesn't mean the economically poor, although he did minister to those who were economically poor. It meant to those who recognized their spiritual poverty, recognized that I, don't, I can't go to heaven on my good works. Sometimes you'll talk to someone who doesn't know Christ, and you'll say to them, what are you trusting in for you to go to heaven? What are you trusting in? And many times people will say, and uh, we, we have to be concerned. Many times people will say, well, I'm a good person. I live a good life. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. Will that get a person to heaven? Absolutely not. Only acknowledging our need for the Lord to preach the good news to the poor. The poor means spiritually poor, spiritual poverty. Jesus mentioned this in Matthew chapter 5 to those who say, Lord, I don't have anything to give you, but I'll take your forgiveness as a gift. That's what he means. Forgiveness as a gift. All our righteousnesses, Isaiah 64, 6, are as filthy rags before God. To preach the gospel to the poor. So those who do not have Christ, the Lord says that they're spiritually poor. Secondly, to proclaim liberty. There it is. There's the freedom again. To proclaim freedom to the captives. Those who are captive by sin. Every once in a while, you'll find someone in your uh, sphere of influence who will say, please pray for so-and-so. They're really held captive by this habit by this situation, and it's just like they're, they're, they're in bondage. Pray for them. And by the way, when we're asked to pray for people, what are we supposed to do? I know you know the answer. It wasn't a tough question. We're to pray for them, aren't we? When you, when you walk around church fellowship here, and someone says, you know, I have a prayer request, what should we do? We should really write it down and say, I will remember you in prayer. I'm going to lift you up before the Lord. Because I believe in the power of prayer. To proclaim liberty to those who are captive, that would be spiritually captive uh, by sin. Jesus said in John 8, 34, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. But those who are apart from Christ, they don't believe they're in slavery. They don't believe they're in bondage. But they really are. Thirdly, to provide recovery of spiritual sight to the blind. People who do not know Jesus as their Savior who do not understand, they're spiritually blind. They cannot see. And you tell them about Christ, you tell them that Jesus is the way. Not the church, not baptism, not belonging to this group. When you tell them that Jesus came for you, they, they can't see it. They, they don't understand how much the Lord loves them so much that he laid down his life for them to provide recovery of spiritual sight to the blind. And, and the fourth one, is to set those who are spiritually uh, oppressed, to set free those who are spiritually oppressed. And um, this means people who become overwhelmed, oppressed 
by some kind of situation, maybe because of some kind of injustice. I, I prayed with someone not too long ago who was in a job situation, totally misunderstood, totally unappreciated, very oppressed. But what's the Lord going to do in that man's life? He's going to intervene, and he's going to show him what he can do for him. What a beautiful passage of Scripture. Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Lord said, and he's anointed me to do these things. Closing, in closing, Spirit of the Lord is upon all of us who know Christ as our Savior. We've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. You've been anointed. I want you to remember that. Two things I want you to remember from the message. Not only beauty for ashes, which the Lord does for us too, but also I want you to remember we have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. When you were saved... When you asked Jesus to be your Savior, you were anointed by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a physical act where someone took oil and placed it upon your head as the kings were anointed in the Old Testament and priests as well. But you were anointed. 1 John 2.20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. That is all things that God has revealed to you. 1 John 2.27, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. So the anointing of the Holy Spirit, what is it? The Holy Spirit now lives within you, have trusted Christ, and he enables you to do all kinds of things for him. He enables you to sing for the Lord. He enables you to talk to others about the Lord. He enables you to help others for the Lord. And all these things come through the Holy Spirit's anointing in your life. So this anointing is not only for some Christians, Every believer has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And the question is, will you be yielding to the Holy Spirit? Will you realize you've been set free from sin in order to serve the Lord? Now remember, you're going to be checking up. What am I doing in ministry now for Christ? Because I've been set free from sin. Secondly, I want you to remember the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, I want you to remember you have a tremendous freedom, a desirable freedom, which multitudes of other people do not have. This freedom that you have is you're not working your way to heaven. You're not trying to be good to go to heaven. You're not trying to do works in order to find favor with God. He already loves you and died on the cross for your sins. You've been set free from sin. We looked at that phrase a number of times in Romans 6. And because we've been set free from sin, we can really allow our lives to count for the Lord. So would you leave with that encouragement this morning that you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit as a believer and you've been set free from sin so you can now serve the Lord. The hymn writer said this in 04, A Thousand Tongues. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean, and his blood availed for me. That's awesome. Let's pause in closing prayer. Have you received beauty for ashes in your life? Are you absolutely sure that Jesus is your Savior? You need to be sure. You, you don't want to spend any more time worrying about whether or not you're going to go to heaven. You need to be sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Believers praying. Believers praying. Could be that you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus as your Savior. You're not sure that you're going to heaven. Well, this is the acceptable year. This is the year of freedom. It's like the 50th year in Israel. 
And the freedom that God wants to give you is freedom from sin's power in your life. He wants to forgive you of all your sins and say, today, you're going to heaven. Not because you do good things. Because you've reached out to the one who is anointed by the Father in heaven, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. This morning, there, there may be one, two, or more who are here with us this morning, and you've not come yet to Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah, and I believe you died for my sins. I had to do that many years ago. And I don't know when you trusted Christ, but I hope that you can look back on a time when you said, Jesus, I believe you set me free and gave me the ability to live for you. And I know I'm not all that I should be right now, but I have the Holy Spirit who will help me to serve you. So while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I'm going to do this this morning. If you're not sure that Jesus is your Savior, that you experience the freedom from sin, no more oppression in your life, no more doubting that you're going to heaven, get that away, I want you to do this this morning. If you want Christ to be your Savior, I want you to get up right out of your seat and come on, sit on the front row. We're going to have closing prayer together, you and me. Dismiss the congregation. This morning, if you're saying, I need Jesus to be my Savior, I'm stepping out. I want Christ in my life this morning. I want you to come forward right now. We're going to pause for a moment. You say, wow, what's he asking me to do? I'm asking you to step out for the Lord. I've known many people over the years. It took a morning service like this with the message of Jesus Christ and the being set free from sin to cause them to step up and step forward and pray and receive Christ. Let's do it today. Anyone? Step forward. Believers praying. In closing... While our heads are bowed and we're quiet before the Lord. Because we've been anointed by the Holy Spirit, let's ask the Lord to really use us. Because the anointing, the purpose of the anointing is to give us the power and the presence of the Lord. You should be able, when you're driving home, to know that the Lord is with you. You should understand that he will give you the power to do what he asks you to do. You should be realizing that you can serve the Lord. Your, your life counts for him. And no matter whether anybody else recognizes it or not, God can use you to speak to others because you have the Holy Spirit. You've been anointed like Jesus was anointed. What did he do? You say, well, he was the son of God. Yes, but all he did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. This passage of Scripture has spoken to my heart, and I hope it's spoken to your heart. Wow. What phrases? Romans 6, set free from sin in order to serve God acceptably. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you this morning for being with us here. Thank you for each one here. When we go into the afternoon or we go to the um, fellowship dinner, may we have in our minds and thinking the beauty of Jesus Christ and may our passion for Christ and what he can do and has already done in our lives. May our passion for Christ keep increasing. And we're going to thank you in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.